Welcome into episode five of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for joining us. We're rapidly approaching the ASU football season, Chris, as we record this just 12 days until the Sun Devils kick off against Northern Arizona. Hurry. <laughs> the FCS school coming down from Flagstaff to open the season at Sun Devil Stadium. And we want to kick off this podcast. We're going to do a mailbag style podcast as we talked with our subscribers about the questions that they want to hear answered on both our free and premium podcasts. So we'll get to those later in this episode. But we want to start off by kind of preempting ASU. We're expecting the Sun Devils to likely release a depth chart in the coming days as they approach the game against NAU. So what we're going to do is make our predictions for the two deep in accordance of the season. So we'll start this off by talking about the quarterbacks. I think it's pretty obvious at this point with the injury to Bryce Perkins, everyone saying that Dylan Sterling Cole is headed for a redshirt year. So it looks like even though ASU may not have named it starter yet, Manny Wilkins and Brady White are at the top of the depth chart. No doubt that's your top two. I think that's going to end up being Manny Wilkins number one and Brady White number two, at least for the season opener. Wouldn't be surprised to see both of those guys play in that game, of course. It's a game that ASU should win by at least a couple touchdowns, two, three touchdowns minimum. Um, more if ASU is having a good game. And uh, I think ASU would uh, like to be able to get a look at both of those guys in a game situation, but I do expect for now Manny Wilkins to be the uh, guy who starts in that game. It would not surprise me at all if when the first depth chart is released by ASU for it to say Wilkins or White. Right, and the reason is because they don't want to tip off NAU. They don't want to start something with the fan base. Uh, Todd Graham has said to us in the past, I'm not going to tell you until the latest that I have to. And that might not even come until the practice or two before they play. Uh, Certainly not, at least until the beginning of the game week. Uh, So, But I do think that after uh, what we've heard from recent practices and the scrimmage that ASU had most recently, that Manny Wilkins is uh, in line to be the starter against NAU. So moving on to the running back position, once again, a really clear-cut top two in this regard. ASU returns juniors Manny, or excuse me, juniors Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj, and those two atop the depth chart in that regard. Certainly, you have Demario Richard, a guy who was a thousand-yard rusher last season as a sophomore, uh, 19 years old. He's one of the top five or six returning backs in the Pac-12, I would say. And then you have Kalen Balaj, who's one of the best athletes probably in the league, uh, one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest on the ASU roster. He's had some bad luck going into the last two seasons from an injury standpoint, and it feels like he's in a great position to have a big-time season this year. That's a tremendous one-two punch, probably about as good as anybody in the league. Now, this is another spot on the depth chart where ASU could list co-starters at the position, Richard or Balazs. So if there's a third guy to take note of, who is it? Well, Nick Ralston is someone that Demario Richard referred to as a secret weapon of the team. We've seen uh, about a 25-pound weight loss in Ralston from last year. He arrived at ASU unsure about what position the Sun Devils were going to use him. Was he going to be a linebacker, an H-back, fullback type? He saw some reps as a lead blocker type role last season as a true freshman, tore his hamstring, uh, got a medical hardship waiver, so now he's a redshirt freshman, and he's only 215 to 220 pounds now, Look, looks uh, just 
much more athletic on the field. I think he's going to surprise some people with his ability uh, to carry the football. If he gets that opportunity, NAU probably he will. And so uh, I think a lot of fans will be excited to see what he can do. This is a guy who from Texas was an absolute workhorse uh, leading his team to a 3A state championship uh, uh, as a senior. Moving on to the tight end position now for ASU. A fifth-year senior will top the depth chart in Cody Cole. Behind him, it's got to be Raymond Epps. This has been a building position of strength, I think, for ASU from a number standpoint and also talent and experience at the top. Raymond Epps is one of the most improved guys on the roster since arriving at ASU. He looked like a wide receiver coming out of Arizona Western and uh, now really looks the part. Uh, he's been wearing like a cast, though, on his hand in recent practices, and, and that's something to watch as far as his ability to catch the football because the m- multiple fingers are involved with that thing. Uh, Cody Cole is a leading returning receiver in the Pac-12 among tight ends. He's a senior. He also has transformed his body in the offseason, adding about 20 pounds to be a more physical, imposing blocker. And he seems definitely poised to have his best season as a Sun Devil. Now, we do expect offensive coordinator Chip Lindsay to use some 12 personnel this year, one back, two tight ends. So when ASU does that and has both Cole and Epps in the game, who are the backups at those respective spots? You have to say that J.J. Wilson has a huge upside at that position, uh, got some opportunities last year. He bounced between linebacker and tight end in practices. He was hurt at the start of camp, like a couple other guys. He had a phenomenal spring, 250 pounds, 6'2", 6'3", uh, very athletic. He, he does some things from a movement skill standpoint that the other guys on the roster probably can't do. He played running back in high school, even some safety. So uh, a great athlete. I think his future is extremely bright. This year will be a transitional year, and I think he'll probably end up being a star player for the Sun Devils down the road. Now let's take a look at ASU's wide receiver corpse. Somewhat of a rebuilding year in this regard, as Chip Lindsey has said, ASU lost a lot of production in Devin Lucian, DJ Foster, Gary Chambers, but they do return a few guys who made an impact last season, namely Tim White. Let's go position by position. ASU has the X, the Z, and the H wide receivers. So at the X spot, who's in line to start right there? Well, Ellis Jefferson's had a good camp, and and you always have to be uh, careful and put an asterisk on, on, on that because Ellis Jefferson's done really well in previous camps and in spring football, but he may be ready to break out. We've seen uh, this story unfold before at ASU with Jarrell Robinson, who uh, similarly sized, similar type of an athlete, uh, became a very good player in practice, but didn't translate it to games until his junior and then really his senior season. Alice Jefferson now a fourth-year player. And then behind that, I think we're going to see Nikhil Harry get reps, the true freshman from Chandler who doesn't look like a freshman, 6'4", 220 pounds. He was the highest-rated recruit from high school in the ASU class, and he's the one player on the offensive side of the ball that media has seen uh, get first-team reps. Now, on the other side of the field, ASU has two intriguing options at the Z position. And this is another spot where I feel like when the depth chart comes out, we may see the OR tag listed. Right, because at the beginning of uh, camp, we saw Jalen Harvey get the first team reps there. 
Cam Smith, of course, is a starter caliber player, but he missed last season with a serious knee surgery that he rehabbed. Uh, there were some questions as to whether he was back to 100%. Jay Norvell, the receivers coach, told us earlier in camp he wasn't there yet, but we've heard about some very impressive performances more recently. Those two guys are both ready to compete at a high level. Jalen Harvey did some impressive things late in the season last year, has a lot of toughness, plays with a chip on his shoulder. Those guys are both very good blockers. Uh, they, they give you a broad capability at that receiver position. I, I don't think that you're going to see much of a difference in terms of the overall capability between those two players. Now at the H position, that's what ASU is calling it, slot receiver. There is no question about who will start there. Easily one of ASU's most important offensive players this season. That's Tim White. Tim White looked to my eyes, and I think you probably agree, Kerry, uh, that first week of camp, Tanazona, like he was maybe just the best player overall on the field. Uh, you had to think about whether that was going to be the case coming off of a track season. He was trying to make the Olympic U.S. trials as a triple jumper. I think he finished finished fifth nationally in the NCAA's, uh, but just came out and tremendously fit. I saw improved route running, even though he had worked in the spring with the corners. I didn't know if we'd see that that skill development aspect, but moving him into the slot is something that could allow his game to really take off and explode. And then behind him, there's some uncertainty. Uh, you have a, a fifth-year senior former walk-on. Fred Gamage is an option. I think he fits this offense better than the previous offense. And then Kyle Williams, who uh, is a well-put-together freshman, 5'10", 185 pounds or so, has been pushing for a spot on that 2D. Now, something to consider. This is the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, but we do have our Sun Devil Source Report premium podcast where we will be going in depth about how ASU can rotate these receivers if it suffers an injury at one position. Say Tim White comes out, maybe Fred Gamage isn't the first player on the field. We'll talk about all of that in our Sun Devil Source premium report coming out later this week. And Chris, now we'll look at the two deep along the offensive line where ASU has pretty much used a consistent starting five across the board since the end of the first week of camp. Yeah, so early on in camp, we were looking at Quinn Bailey uh, as the right tackle. And then at right guard, uh, we saw uh, Zach Robertson, who's a talented redshirt freshman. But those guys have flipped those positions uh, in the last couple weeks. We've seen Zach Robertson at right tackle. Quinn Bailey is a sophomore, who's also one of the more improved guys in a practice setting over the last couple years. Uh, I like him as a down blocker in the run game for somebody who's taller. uh, But the pass pro handling speed on the perimeter, that was a little more of an issue. But um, those guys are on that right side. In the middle, there's Stephon McRae, who, of course, has, has plugged in at a couple different spots on the interior in recent years over his career as a senior now going going in and likely to become a starter but still getting uh, pushed at that center position, primarily by A.J. McCollum, who's come on to practice in, in recent uh, days after being in green uh, earlier on. And then the left side it looks seems like it's the most intact right now as far as uh, what we'll see in early on in the season. Yeah, the left side right now, it's got Sam Jones as the starting left guard, Evan Goodman, the only returning starter as the left tackle. So when you look at the two deep along this ASU offensive line, there's a there's going to be a lot of rotation if ASU does suffer an injury at a position. If, for instance, someone isn't well equipped to handle the challenges of being an every down player, the six through 10 guys on the depth chart 
aren't necessarily going to be the guys who are the number two at the left tackle and the number two at the right tackle spot. And that's another difference that we'll get into on the premium podcast. We'll talk about how ASU will rotate those players. But when you just look from left to right across the offensive line, of late, Cole Cabral, true fresher, has been playing at the left tackle spot. Alex Lasoya, junior college transfer, has surpassed Connor Humphreys over the past week at left guard. A.J. McCollum, who we mentioned, a setter. And then we've got uh, Steve Miller playing right guard right now, backing up Quinn Bailey. He's probably the number six guy if we were to rank them, which we will do later on in that premium podcast. And then Mason Walter is the other backup tackle at right tackle. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, Kerry, there's there's going to be some movement depending upon who goes out, what Chris Thompson, the offensive line coach, says, and, and really echoing what a lot of offensive line coaches tend to do is they want to figure out who the best five are. If one guy comes out of the lineup, it's not necessarily the guy who plays behind him on the depth chart that gets immediately inserted in. There's sometimes the musical chairs that reconfigures that group, and that's something that we're really going to expand on in the premium pod. So now let's move over to the defensive side of the ball where ASU will do a number of different things this season, but we'll keep it basic for now. Let's talk about the defensive tackle roles. ASU has the nose and the tiger, and what ASU really has is the goal of playing four different players, having a four-tackle rotation uh, on the interior of the defensive line. What we've seen really for the most part in the Tigram era is uh, them having to rely too heavily on two guys or maybe three guys, too many reps. Uh, you want to be able to keep the defensive lineman fresh. That's a that's a position that you rotate more than anywhere else probably on the field. And they haven't necessarily been able to do that. There's been a lot of times when there's been 80, 90 reps from a guy or two up front. So they definitely want to figure out if they got some other guys behind them that can play without too much of a drop-off. Of course, you have Viliami Latu and Tayshawn Smallwood as your, as your starters there. They, they've... Uh, played a heavy role for this team in the past. Both are returning starters. Uh, and, and then you have uh, some other guys who have played up front, especially the position move that we're going to talk about from end to devil with JoJo Wicker. So behind Tayshawn Smallwood and Ami Latu rounding out the two deep, the third defensive tackle is pretty clear right now. That's George Lee, a redshirt freshman. He'll, he was in line to play a little bit last year before he was sidelined with the disciplinary issues. And then Tramel Topps, who just received a scholarship on Monday afternoon. Yeah, we have been saying really for a while that Topps had pushed past some of the defensive tackles uh, that are out there. I think he's probably still battling Corey Smith for that fourth spot. But uh, but Topps getting that scholarship was a big deal for him, of course, as a, as a transfer out of uh, Arizona Western, and he's a relatively stout guy. I think he can hold up at the point of attack, and and uh, it would be a big for ASU if, if if either Smith or if Tops is able to be a, uh, an active fourth player. What Todd Graham really would like to do is see no drop off in production because that would allow him to rotate the defensive tackles more freely. But let's slide out right now and talk about defensive end and the guy topping the depth chart right now was actually a defensive tackle last season, was playing more on the interior of the line, and now he has an opportunity to use his skills on the outside of the defensive line. Renell Wren is absolutely one of the most imposing physical specimens on the roster. You talk to Sean Griswold, the ASU strength coach, and he says nobody lifts weights like Renell Wren. 6'5", 290 pounds, almost no bad weight on him whatsoever. 
Um, he's had to work on a lot of fundamental improvement, pad level, things of that nature, but he seems to be making that transition as he's going into his third season at ASU, and they're going to rely heavily on him. And then uh, behind him, you have a senior uh, in Edmund Botang who's played quite a bit uh, since uh, arriving at ASU from the junior college ranks out of New Mexico Military Institute. Uh, and So those are your two deep right there. Perhaps Jalen Bates can challenge for a spot there over the course of the season. We'll see how his development moves along. But the player right now starting at devil backer on the flip side of the line, really when ASU lines someone up on the boundary side of the field in a rush end position, as Todd Graham called it in recent weeks, JoJo Wicker, a player who played defensive end a little bit last season, was a freshman All-American. ASU entered camp kind of with a void at the devil devil backer spot with Doug Suttles eligibility still in question. And JoJo Wicker looks like the real deal so far. Well, he's the best pass rusher, I think, on the team in space, on the edge. And Wicker's worked hard to get his body into tip-top shape. He lost about 15 pounds. He, he looks like he can play that position, especially as explosive as he is. And then there's a couple guys behind him. And really, you can go a couple different ways with it. Uh, you have A.J. Latu is more of a hybrid end slash devil, plays from a two-point stance, whereas Wicker has the ability to play from a three-point stance. Uh, but he's got a good motor and, and uh, can be effective in a role. And then Karan Crump has probably been the most impressive junior college newcomer on the roster from the spring till now. He's a great athlete, but a little bit more of a pure pass rush guy as a, as a six-foot-four. 220 pounder so really three names to keep in mind there even though we're talking exclusively about the two deep right now and all three players who we mentioned the devil backer position should see playing time over the course of the season as asu rotates its personnel in different sub packages but let's look at the linebacker level right now the sam linebacker really asu's strength in the middle in the middle of the defense a guy who's been there for four years now in salamo fiso yeah, uh, you have to say the line, the inside linebackers are the heart of ASU's defense, literally and figuratively. Um, you have um, you have in Salamo Fizo uh, at the Sam position, the guy who's among the league, league leaders in uh, in tackles for tackles for loss, in total tackles, solo tackles, solo tackles most important uh, among linebackers. And uh, Carlos Mendoza is a veteran guy who's played behind him. But really, you have a three linebacker rotation, depending upon if somebody goes out of the lineup. And that's next to Salamo Fizo, starter Christian Sam, who played at that will position last year. But he can also play Sam or really any of those spots because he arrived at ASU as a spur. And then DJ Calhoun has primarily been a sub-package guy, but he's gotten a lot of first-team reps this year in camp because Sam's been uh, nursing uh, rehabilitation from a, a, a hip injury that had arthroscopic surgery. Sam looks ready to go, but certainly you have three guys who are starter caliber there. So we do know that ASU has a 4-3 package this season because they have those top three linebackers in Salamo Fiso, DJ Calhoun, and Christian Sam. But really, if we're looking at the ASU defense of the past, None of those players fits in the traditional spur role. So when you're looking at if ASU is going to continue using its base defense in regular fashion, who's the top? Of, who's at the top of the depth chart at that spur position? This has been the most interesting thing to follow because I think a lot of ASU fans know that Todd Graham is planning on moving Lyo Mokiola to that back-level safety spot uh, away from Spur, where he's had a home and been one of the best players on the field when healthy in the last couple of seasons at Spur. And uh, right now, it's very much still in flux. Tyler Wiley 
is a former uh, high-profile local recruit out of Chaparral who's gotten one reps there. He moved from a cornerback to spur, and we think that's a really good fit for him. We, we were talking even in advance of that move that that's probably what he was going to have to do in order to see the field. And then Marcus Ball is a guy who started camp this year as the first team at spur and uh, got a little banged up there with a, with a foot or ankle for a few days, but certainly that's a very much of a close competition and something that I, I think that we'll see multiple guys there early on in the season. Yeah, you really get the feel that the spur position is the furthest of any position on the defense from being settled right now. That could change really over the course of the season. Todd Graham at different points last year brought in a number of different players to try and play the devil backer role. And we could see the spur position take on kind of that fashion this season as different players rotate in and out there until ASU gets settled. But let's look at the secondary now, a group that has talked quite a bit about improving because they came in last in the, in the entire nation in passing defense, giving up more than 337 yards per game through the air. A lot of changes now in the secondary. And the top four cornerbacks right now are relatively clear-cut, even though we won't mention Maurice Chandler in that light. He's a guy who could break in to that mold by the end of the season. But the starters at the boundary corner position, it's Kareem Orr, a sophomore who played mostly safety last season. At the field corner position, it's Gump Hayes, Dechavon Hayes. And then behind him and behind Orr, you've got Bryce Nichols and Robbie Robinson. So ASU's been trying to figure out a way to get Mokiola, Perry, and Orr uh, into those back four positions to provide you with the most uh, experience, maturity, stability, and uh, or going to corner, I think they believe will help in that regard. Uh, we'll have to see how Hayes holds up. I think he's a good man cover corner. We've seen that in practice setting, but when you throw a lot at him from a communication standpoint, playing zone, things of that nature, it remains to be seen if he'll be able to continue on that arc. Robbie Robinson, as a true freshman, is somebody who stepped up and made a big impression early, and Bryson Eccles is a veteran, a, a postgraduate transfer from Texas, who's certainly going to get an opportunity. So once again, or on the boundary, Hayes at the field corner spot. Eccles is probably Hayes' backup right now at field corners. Robinson is better suited to the boundary position. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at the safeties now, where as we mentioned earlier, Laiu Mokiola, the senior, has moved back from the spur linebacker spot to his final season to playing safety, where ironically, he began his career, but he began his career as really ASU's bandit safety, and now he's playing on the field side. So I think what we're going to see, and that's something, again, that we're going to talk about a lot more on the premium uh, part of our of our content, is uh, Mokiola will be sliding around uh, with his location on the field relative to the type of coverage that, that they're going to be playing. So uh, they're going to say, okay, he's a field safety that's not that may not be where you see him really spend a lot of his reps uh, and that's something that we're going to have to kind of see unfold because I think that ASU is going to be evaluating how that looks early on in the season and make some adjustments uh, based on that but uh, certainly Armand Perry is a starter caliber player uh, probably alongside and, and he could play either of the field or or the, the the bandit position and he has played field previously worked at bandit some in camp and then behind those guys you have chad adams who's uh 
played corner, bandit, and if the field side safety position uh, at ASU in a reserve capacity to this point. And then there's a newcomer, Jamarcus Rhodes, who's like a big defensive back who can play corner. Uh, they've looked at him as a field side safety, someone who has some coverage ability as a safety. But certainly those four guys are, are the people that you're going you're gonna to be using there primarily. And we'll see if they tailor that even more specifically to the types of opponents and uh, and down and distance situationally. So there you have it. ASU's two deep depth chart as predicted by Sun Devil Source. Less than two weeks to go until the regular season opener against Northern Arizona. And Chris, before we get to the mailbag session, I want to take a quick break right now and talk a little bit about Sun Devil Source subscribers and talk about... The opportunity to become a premium subscriber, get access to our Devil's Sanctuary Forum, access to the Sun Devil Source Report premium con content, and access to really so much more. What are some of those benefits? It's been awesome to see how this thing has unfolded in the time since we came to Scout uh, about a year and a half ago now. We just had... Uh, numbers across the board that were phenomenal in, in the month of August, uh, the most number of member signups that we've ever had in a month, uh, the most active message board that we've ever had in the month of August. The community is really building into one of the most formidable, strongest, and uh, most robust uh, community among all the Pac-12 schools across all uh, sites. If you look at uh, the board just here in the last week or so we have a thread specifically on Sun Devil Stadium that's going to become the first ever thread to get a hundred thousand views on any message board uh, of ASU uh, and that's quite a quite a remarkable thing and what enabled that is uh, we had dozens of photos of the stadium uh, from the inside that nobody else has ever seen before we talk about things uh, on that on that board in a much much deeper uh, type of perspective than you're going to get pretty much anywhere else covering ASU athletics and the amount of premium content that we have is is we, we keep it above 50% I would say on average which means that every week you're going to get uh, one or two pieces of, of content that it, that nobody else is going to see from from a level of, of depth or a perspective that goes well beyond what you're going to see in, in you know the normal reporting that you would get uh, in most places covering a team so when you when you pair uh, the reporting that we do breaking stories and the analysis that we do uh, including player evaluations uh, uh, capsules on every single player on the roster expansive details on um, uh, post game, game previews, and then the, the, the best and biggest community of any ASU uh, message board. It's really something that for $9.95 a month or $100 a year is a can't miss thing, according to many of our subscribers uh, on the site. And now, before we move on to the mailbag, here's my quick selling point. So far in August, everyone wants to know about the quarterback competition. Sun Devil Source was the first to report that Bryce Perkins suffered an injury, was considering a transfer, and he ultimately decided to stay at ASU. After ASU's pivotal scrimmage on Saturday, Sun Devil Source was the first to report which quarterback had the best day and why that quarterback had the best day. And that was a closed scrimmage. So that is premium content that only our subscribers can get. And in the month of August, we've also launched the Big Board, the 2017 Recruiting Big Board, so you're able to get 
all of the most up-to-date information on the recruits ASU was locked in on. We're going to advance the narrative on all these things. And if you if you look on the big board for an example, you take a, a glance at that, subscribers already know that we give you a, a rating of every single recruit that ASU is in on and the likelihood of them ending up at ASU. And that changes on a day-by-day basis. We have daily updates all in one location, in one uh, form post that then contains a link to everything that you're going to ever want to see in recruiting. Um, so um, certainly it's the biggest community out there uh, with ASU Athletics, and it's something that we take uh, a huge amount of joy and passion in providing to our readership. Now we were thankful for our readership today, especially because they're enabling this next segment. If you were a Sun Devil Source Premium subscriber, you had an opportunity to contribute to our mailbag segment. We're going to go ahead and answer some of those questions. We'll start off with the first question that I think is really intriguing. So many questions about Chip Lindsey and what he's going to bring to ASU's offense this season. This question says, new ASU offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey, is his offense going to more resemble Gus Malzahn at Auburn with the read option or Mike Leach at Washington State? In talking to Chip Lindsey, um, on media day and, and really um, when he first arrived at ASU sat with him in his office for a while and then watching his offense in the spring and in camp it's fascinating because it's not really like any offense that we see in the Pac-12 you have of course the Washington State Cal air raid the Arizona bear raid the, the Oregon style spread uh, and then on the far other end of the spectrum as we've talked about uh, previously in other premium uh, podcasts and elsewhere you have uh, the pro style offenses, uh, Stanford and Utah. Well, ASU is um, not that much like any of them. There are elements of Malzahn that are more on the run side, and then there are elements of the the air raid uh, and 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 maybe some pro style that's on the passing side. And this is really a, an amalgamation of all those types of things. And even Chip Lindsey told us it's quite unique uh, to college football because. It's 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 a product of all of his experiences as a coach where he started as a wing T uh, assistant coach, uh, became an air raid, uh, Tony Franklin system type disciple, then incorporated Gus Malzahn. And now we're seeing all these things kind of melded together in the latest evolution of offense at the college level. So you really see some different things from Chip Lindsay's offense that you're not going to see in the Pac-12. You'll see many of Washington State's kind of package plays with the replacement runs and the style of running plays, but ASU is much more committed to the run than Washington State really will ever be under Mike Leach. That's an important distinction. 2,000-yard rushers last year at Southern Miss makes that as clear as anything. We'll get to the topic of 2,000-yard rushers later on in this episode. Our next question, what are the chances of Dylan Sterling Cole, a true freshman, seeing the field this year? Well, I put about a 10% chance on it, and that's unscientific, of course. <laughs> I think I think um, it's probably only going to happen if you have two quarterbacks ahead of him who both really struggle, or one struggles and one gets injured, or something along those lines. Um, other than that, it's just probably not going to happen. I think he has the physical tools. Certainly, he's got a chance to be a really good player at this level, but it, it's just asking so much for any true freshman to come in and be able to do that, especially when they arrived in the summer and not uh, in the spring. So when you have three quarterbacks on the roster, two really competing for the starting job, Bryce Perkins was competing. The follow-up to that question of the current QBs on the roster, who's most likely to transfer and why? 
Well, that has to be Bryce Perkins. Uh, As we reported, he was on the verge of transferring before the significance of the neck injury was learned. Uh, He was actually, uh, by our reporting, in the process of getting a a scholarship release request in order to explore transfer possibilities. Uh, And then uh, the injury led to a reevaluation of that. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, after the season or the spring because there's too many variables about how things can unfold between now and then that you have to account for. But certainly the greatest odds of a transfer uh, would be Bryce Perkins. Next question, also on the quarterbacks, as you can see, a big theme developing here. Everyone wants to know quarterback information. Has Todd Graham already set down the quarterbacks and said, we're going to pick one guy, but we'll play the other in the first two games just to make sure? We don't know if that's happened or not. Uh, asked him very directly following a recent practice if the plan was to play play two quarterbacks or what the odds are that they would play two quarterbacks. He wasn't specifically revealing about the chances of it, but he did say that he would have no problem doing so and they're going to do whatever it takes in their estimation to help the team win. I think, again, given that it's NAU and they should win relatively comfortably, the odds are pretty darn good that we will see both quarterbacks out there. Now, we had a really nice discussion on our last premium podcast about some of ASU's most talented younger players. And this question is kind of in that mold. There are several younger guys that are really talented, and it seems like this year might be a breakout year for them. I'd like to get more insight on what players are doing to be more prepared to be successful as they mature, so to speak. Here's the thing that I think fans really need to uh, consider on this topic. And I think it's a good question because it provides an opportunity for us to expand on what exactly we are looking for from an evaluation standpoint and what exactly the coaches are looking for to determine readiness to play in a game. Now, uh, in camp, you're going up against your own offense or defense that you see all the time. This is before you get to a scout team situation where you're preparing for the opponent. So uh, theoretically, and, and as a practical matter, you should be much more prepared to understand what you're going to see from the opponent when it's your own offense and defense and you've seen them quite a bit, right? So what coaches look at every single day when they evaluate the film that they shoot of the practices how assignments sound are my players at my position group for what we're asking them to do. And if you don't have a great percentage of being assignment sound in that regard at recognizing the keys that you're supposed to see, playing the role that you're supposed to play, executing from a physical standpoint, mental standpoint, working working as one of the 11 guys that are all supposed to be in sync on any given play. If you cannot do that with a great consistency, then you're not ready to do it when you're going to have to prepare for a much tougher assignment, which is learning in a one-week span what an opponent is going to do and all the things that I have to know and be responsible for in front of 60, 70,000 fans. So uh, the bottom line is, is what, what coaches want to see, what we want to see, and what determines readiness is a commitment to learning the, the playbook, learning the schemes, understanding what you're seeing, and being able to be quick reactive to that on the field on a very consistent basis. And only when that happens and your execution level and your uh, practice consistency in terms of your habits, your, your, your output of your effort, all those things, when all those things are reliable, then you're ready to play in games. And, and uh, it just is, uh, for some kids, something that takes a lot longer than other kids to be able to do those things. Now, when I think of an answer to this question, I, I go back to episode three of this podcast when we had the opportunity to interview Cody Cole. 
and he talked about the huge jump he made uh, at some point in this program when he said to himself, you know what, I am ready to go start competing. I'm ready to go to the weight room every day and get better. And I also think of many of the players who have admitted to us in fall camp that they simply weren't ready when they were true freshmen. I spoke to Rennell Wren. He said that this year it's just so much different for him because things have clicked. He's working with a position coach who really understands him on a personal level. You talked to Jason Lewis who said he was lost in the playbook this year and he feels much more comfortable. We both talked to Zach Robertson who said he's not overwhelmed this year. He understands the scheme and he's ready to go. And I think that really stands out in terms of just mental focus, mental dedication, and having the physical tools to compete at this level. The, the introspection that you get from some of these players as they mature and evolve through this process is is one of the more interesting things to report on. Uh, we've talked to Tyler Wiley about how he's grown up and, and, and learned how he has to study and bring an effort that is more than just what happens on the field when he, when he shows up at practice. Uh, we've talked to DJ Calhoun on our Media Day podcast, which if you haven't uh, got a chance to listen to yet, go please go check out. He, he admitted, I, I was uh, running around there and wasn't really sure what I was doing as a freshman. Uh, the guy was going to make mistakes at 100 miles an hour and coaches like that. But the evolution from then until now is is uh, phenomenal to see what he's been able to accomplish as a player. And that's not really all that uncommon. You mentioned Rennell Wren and, and there's been so many guys like that. Uh, Raymond Epps, a guy we mentioned earlier in the podcast, he had a hard time getting lined up properly when the team ran its tempo s- segment. Literally, coaches would have to be yelling at him. He was on the wrong side of the field. The alignment was off line, on the line of scrimmage versus not on the line of scrimmage. You have to be able to be trusted to do all of these things and execute what you're supposed to do. And we see time and time again over the years that we've done this that uh, players, for the most part, take a couple years to be able to fully acclimate to playing at this level in that regard. All right, time to move on to our next question. Chip Lindsey had two 1,000-yard rushers last year at Southern Miss. Do you see Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard rushing four or close to 1,000 yards each? Yes or no and why? Not going to happen. Um, if it did happen, it would be the most impressive accomplishment probably in college football this season overall because uh, it, it it's extremely rare. It's happened one time at ASU previous, previously. I believe it was 1973. That was in the whack. It was a different era of football because you ran the ball significantly more. If you look at ASU historically, the only stretch of, of time when ASU did this where they had even one 1,000-yard uh, rusher was 1968 to 1975. Subsequent to that period, there's been about three or four years where we've seen ASU have more than a 1,000-yard rusher over about a two-decade stretch until it became a little bit more common of late. Uh, and Demario Richard, of course, did it last year. But to be able to have two guys do that, even when you have an inexperienced quarterback and you're going to rely heavily on those guys, it's just a very small percent chance that that's going to happen. It would be so difficult when you consider that Chip Lindsey was doing that in Conference USA. And then to do that in the Pac-12, these coordinators, these players are much more experienced and they know what to look for in terms of when either player is on the field. So that would really be one of the... Uh, most remarkable feats in college football, as you said, Chris. Let's move on to our next question. Who's the one player on either side of the ball whose loss would hurt ASU the most? It may not be the best player. Well, on defense, we've already seen what's happened to the Sun Devils when Laio Mokiola has been off the field, and he's been hurt really for the last two seasons. Uh, that that play in the backfield at 
Colorado in, in 2014 stands out uh, because ASU's not really been the same without him. So you know him. And then uh, other than that, you would have to say just because of the fact that they don't have anybody else that can play this type of a role, you would say JoJo Wicker. Um, he's almost indispensable as a pass rusher who also has the heft and ability to play against the run up front. You would really be diminished on that side of the football if you lost those guys. I'm not sure that there really is anybody that jumps out at me on offense in that regard, but probably Tim White. Uh, he can play the various roles. Uh, ASU needs him from a receiving standpoint. And then also when you factor his value on special teams. And then maybe secondarily, I would say Demario Richard because of Chip Lindsey's reliance on passing the ball to the backs and what Demario Richards able to do from that standpoint, from a protection standpoint, and just uh, uh, his leadership element. All right, let's move on to our next question. Do you have more confidence in the offensive line play or ASU's quarterback play this season? Probably offensive line, and, and the reason I would say that is just because you have a pretty healthy group there, and they're young, and they're big and athletic, and while they don't have the experience, I think there's a chance for them to coalesce relatively uh, effectively as the season wears on. I think when you have a, a quarterback who's never played at this level, that could very well be a much longer process, and um, we haven't seen enough standout play based upon the media restrictions on uh, the availability uh, uh, windows. So I, I would say the offensive line, although that's relatively close. I think that I would go with the offensive line play as well. And one of the reasons to me is I think there's seven or eight options that ASU really has for five positions. And that's more depth than the Sun Devils may have necessarily had in the past. Yes, it's inexperienced depth and guys like Zach Robertson, Steve Miller, maybe a guy who hasn't really proved himself quite yet in Sam Jones, but I think there's so much potential at these spots. When you look at their respective body types and their frames and their overall skill sets, their recruiting rankings, their high school film, all of that adds up to their potential for success in the future. And I think by the end of the season, the offensive line play should be stronger than the quarterback. I agree. I think probably the only big concern would be how you handle speed rushers on the edge. But other than that, I think it's trending in the right direction. I think you make a great point because from about the third or fourth guy through the eighth guy, it's very competitive depth there. And, and you have different uh, different uh, guys that you can plug into various spots to figure out a good combination. So even if it's not exactly as effective as you want early on, you have the ability to, to figure that out. Our next question. We talked about the two deep earlier. Is there anyone on that two deep that you see emerging to have a starting role later on in the season? Gosh, that's really hard. Um, I would say there's a possibility in the secondary. Uh, you have Jamarcus Rhodes, who's a newcomer as a junior college player. He missed a bunch of the spring, but he's looked good in his reps. And you have some softness there in the defensive backfield. Uh, uh, is uh, Deshavon Hay is going to be able to perform at that field corner position in all of the ways that you would like to use from a coverage standpoint? Or could Bryson Eccles push up there? Or maybe Robbie Robinson uh, could push up there. Uh, up front, I think, uh, even though you have really great solidified guys, 
George Lee is a good player, and, and we'll have to see what happens with him. Circling back to the offensive line, that's where you have Steve Miller, um, who's a redshirt freshman, but one who has a lot of promise uh, down the road. Kyle Williams, maybe if he gets an opportunity, could flash and get more reps, even though he's probably not going to be a starter. And then Nikhil Harry, we have to mention, is somebody who could eventually become a starter, even as a true freshman at that X position. Yeah, Harry's talent is so evident. He's already basically passed up Terrell Chapman at the X spot on the outside. And Ellis Jefferson, a guy who's always played well in camp but doesn't have the on-field production to show for it through the years. We mentioned it could be a big year for him as he's entering his fourth season with the program third on the field. So that will be an interesting battle to follow over the course of the season. Our next question, we'll get through this one quickly. Have you seen less involvement with Todd Graham in specific instances in fall camp? And has he been in more of a supervisor role? I noticed that in the spring a little bit more than we have in the past. You see him sort of meandering between the position groups, uh, doing some uh, individual coaching of players at at various spots, doing some uh, engagement between uh, assistant coaches and players in in, in certain ways, uh, being an evaluator on the field. In the past, he had been primarily working with the defensive backs and the cornerbacks quite a bit in skill periods. So you didn't see that as much. I didn't notice this as much in... Um, camp in the last few weeks, but part of that again is as limitations put upon reporters who are able to observe. I, I do think where we're going to notice this is probably going to be in games because I, I believe that when he's not calling plays and he's not as as sharply focused on the defense on a every down basis, that he'll probably spend more time talking to the quarterback and nurturing uh, that position, uh, being maybe more involved with. Um, uh, working with the offensive coordinator and and because he he did say from a game prep standpoint he's going to be more of an analyst and and help to make sure that that uh, offensive unit is as prepared as it possibly can be going into the season. So I think some of it will be will be behind the curtain that we don't see, and then uh, we'll also notice some things that are going to be smaller on game days. Yeah, there's no doubt that he will have a big role with the defense. He always had throughout his career, but it does seem like he and Keith Patterson are completely content with using this system where Patterson calls the plays that they used in the past when Graham was maybe dealing with more inexperienced offensive coordinators. Mike Norvell was with him for a while, so he was able to focus more on defense because he knew what he was going to get out of Norvell. Well, he didn't always know what he was going to get. <laughs> yeah, there, there was. I think this last season was frustrating for Todd in, in, in some of that respect because um, what he candidly said was, I thought in a couple games we were going in with a certain agenda or focus and then it didn't end up being exactly what I wanted. But certainly, to your point, it is true that with a first-year offensive coordinator uh, and his comfort level with Keith Patterson, especially as he's become more immersed with this ASU roster from a personnel standpoint, Graham's going to be a lot more comfortable being able to be a CEO-type personality. Now, our final question, how do you believe the staff will handle sub-packages in game situations? For example, Cal and Oregon's pace doesn't permit too much in the way of substitution on the fly, so are we more likely to see a sub-package for an entire game? This is something we'll get into a lot more in premium podcasts, and I suggest if you really are into the whole football wonky stuff and you want to understand it 
at a more granular level. That's that's where it's going to be. But we've already seen ASU in recent years play the Washington States and Cal's of this world in a base nickel um, alignment, and that's probably what we're going to see moving forward. Because why why wouldn't we? It's just a uh, a defensive back who can cover because those teams are much more pass oriented. And then um, you know may, maybe you get a little heavier with your personnel groupings as you play teams that are more run heavy and load up the box more on the offensive side. Really, no time like the present to sign up for SunDevilSource.com premium subscriptions are going right now. And we're going to get into when when in advance of ASU playing every game, we're going to talk about what specifically you're going to be seeing from a defensive coverage shell, personnel groupings, uh uh how they're going to employ all of their pieces, all that stuff we get into at, at a very uh in-depth level. Um almost too much sometimes <laughs> for for me. Almost too much. Well, it's almost too much for this podcast. We are done with our questions on the Sun Devil Source Report mailbag episode. Coming up next week, we'll have our season preview. Looking forward to that episode. For Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your editor, Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for joining us on episode five, and stay tuned for our episodes later on throughout the season. <laughs>